through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, this is definitely a first world problem, but I think it would still stink nonetheless. The Felicity Ace which is a 6,000-ton merchant ship, caught fire on February 17th um, in the Atlantic Ocean, kind of by the, the Azores Islands, and, and they've been, been fighting to try to salvage the ship that, that failed, and the ship sank this morning. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, if you are waiting for the delivery of your Lamborghini, your Porsche, your Bentley, your Audi, or your VW, you, you might have to wait a little longer. See, the Felicity Ace contained 4,000 luxury automobiles. Apparently, this was this huge shipment um, of, of cars all made by Volkswagen AG. That's the German car maker that owns Lamborghini, Porsche, Bentley, VW, and Audi. And they had 4,000 vehicles on this particular ship, all which were heading to various dealers. And guess the bottom line is they're not going to make it. So if you've pre-ordered that Lamborghini and you made the down payment on it and you're wondering, you know, where, where is it? And you told me that I'd have it by April 1st or whatever. I think you're going to probably have to wait a little bit longer because it's, it's just not coming. Now, I, I understand the war in Ukraine is raging, stock market down again today because of that, and, and it's, it's a humanitarian crisis. We will talk about it in the one o'clock hour of the program today, the latest developments, but for everybody who thought this was going to be a walkover for Russia, it's not turning out that way. Here's some of the latest developments, and we'll talk about the economic sanctions and stuff later on. But everybody is probably by now that's been following this, seeing the, the pictures of the 40-mile-long convoy that's heading towards Kiev. And, and by the way, I always pronounce it Kiev, but, but never again. I, it, what's been explained to me is Kiev is the way Russians pronounce the name of that city. Kiev is the way um, Ukrainians pronounce it. So from now on, as far as I'm concerned, it's 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 Kiev. So in any event, you've probably seen that the 40-mile convoy that's heading for Kiev. Well, here, here's some of the reports out this morning. Apparently, the Russian combat forces north of Kiev have not advanced since Monday, and according to senior U.S. defense officials, they're running out of food and gas. They said that the stall north of Kiev is due in part to tough Ukrainian resistance and fuel and sustainment problems. The lack of advance could also be a result of Russia regrouping, rethinking, or trying to reevaluate the strategy. According to reports, a significant number of Russian troops are conscripts, um, young men drafted into service without much training who um, have not were not necessarily aware that they would be participating in combat operations. The reports say 
say the U.S. is picking up indications that morale is flagging in some of these units. Uh, they say that there is um, also no reason to doubt reports that some Russian soldiers are punching holes in their own fuel tanks to stop the vehicles advancing. Now, look, I, I, I understand that there's always a degree of propaganda that comes with this, but I think some of this does, in fact, make sense. And again, for people who just thought that Vladimir Putin was going to walk over this country, it's not turning out that way. And as you look at the effect of the sanctions that are coming into place, it's more and more apparent that um, that this this has the potential to be a much longer struggle with a much different outcome, maybe than some people originally anticipated. All right, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Today is the day. Milwaukee's latest ma- indoor mask mandate expires. Now, the, the latest mandate was essentially more of a suggestion than a mandate because there were no penalties. But what's been happening all across the country is that most major cities have either relaxed or eliminated indoor mask rules. Madison, uh, Dane County, Chicago, for example, um, most of the places in California. In essence, the, the mask mandates are dropping far and wide. The only place mask mandates really still maintain or in effect fully, thank you, Joe Biden, are in, in the airports. If, if you walk into an airport, you, you still have to wear a mask. That mandate is scheduled to expire in mid-March. Biden has shown no um, interest in letting it lapse before that, but but I don't know that they're extending it. And, of course, you still have the federal government-imposed mask mandate on airplanes. But beyond that, by and large, mask mandates are falling all over the place. And I think that's just a reflection, number one, of the increasingly good numbers when it comes to, to COVID, and number two, of the fact that, that people are done with it. That's just the, the reality. People are done with being told that they have to wear a mask. Now, having said that, even if the mask mandates imposed by government expire, that doesn't mean that First, first of all, that individual businesses still can't re- require masks if they see fit. But more importantly, it doesn't mean that individuals can't choose if they think it's safer or whatever, can't choose to wear masks while they are out in public. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I think it is very important moving forward that, that people need to avoid being judgmental both ways. By that, I mean if I choose to walk into a store and because I've got my, I've had COVID and I'm vaccinated and I'm boosted and I feel fine, I'm not wearing a mask. I don't think people should look askance at people like that. At the same time, if for whatever reason somebody is more comfortable walking into a grocery store or a restaurant or walking down the street wearing a mask, I, I think that's fine too. We have to just acknowledge that. But here is what I would like to discuss with you. As we sit here early March of 2022, mask mandates are expiring. Are you done with the masks? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or do you anticipate that for at least the foreseeable future, you will continue wearing masks, either indoors, outdoors, even though it's not required. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I for one, I, I'm over the masks. 
Sorry, I, I don't think that makes me a bad person. I'm, I'm over the masks. I think I have been responsible during the course of the pandemic. But I'm not going to judge people who still decide that they want to go out in public wearing masks. It's just not for me. Are you over the masks? And if not, do you think you'll ever be over the masks? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, mask rules are pretty much falling all over the place, uh, with the exception of, of airports, and that's probably going to go by the end of the month. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. I have all intentions of never wearing a mask again, but if anyone around me so chooses, I'm okay with that. That's the way it should have been all along. And, and I guess that that's sort of my attitude. I'm I'm. I'm done with masks unless there's, again, if I'm going to be flying on a plane or something. I, I mean, I'll do it if it's the rule, but I have no problem. If I walk into a grocery store and you've got people that are wearing masks, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that if people want to do it. Matter of fact, I think that moving forward, there is going to be a segment of the population, probably a small segment, but there's going to be a segment of the population that wears masks all the time. And if they choose to do that, I'm okay with that too. Jason in New Berlin. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing today, Jeff? Good. What do you think? So I think there's a, a certain segment of the population that's been very much damaged by this. I think that, you know, when you look at what the harm that masking has done, when you look at the repercussions with kids, the increase in speech impediments, the increase in depression, and they've just done irreparable harm. And further, you know, when you look at the science on it all, and the science has become, that word has become such a politicized term, but when you look at the actual science and how small Omicron or any of the COVID particles actually are, I mean, masks are about as, as useful at containing any of, the, any of the COVID particles as, you know, underwear are to containing farts. I mean, just, it just doesn't work out. You know, I was on a plane a couple of weeks ago, and there was a guy on there, and I, I usually don't say anything to people, but um, there was a guy on the plane. He had two sets of gloves on. He had on three masks, and he was just, he looked so fragile, so fearful. And I, I look at this guy, and I just think to myself, this guy walked around normal amongst us before Delta and before, you know, uh, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And I just think to myself, yeah. the, the harm that's been done to people like him, that he's never going back to normal. You know, despite the, even CNN's Dr. Leanna Wen coming out a couple of weeks ago and saying, you know, well, cloth masks are a little more than facial decorations. And, you know, the science has just shifted so much. The narrative has shifted so much. People don't know who to trust. And to the earlier point, I don't mean to rant so much, but to the earlier point, I just I think there's a probably five, 10 percent of the population that will never, ever take their masks off again. And, and I, Jason, thanks for going. Again, I, I don't disagree with you. And again, I, I don't have. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. If if people feel more comfortable going out in public because they're wearing the mask, because they think that gives them some degree of protection, okay, you know, maybe it does, maybe it maybe it doesn't. If you, I think the one thing that we have learned is that a lot of a lot of the times when people were made to wear masks, the masks they wore weren't really that effective, and they didn't wear the masks properly and stuff. But 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 that's okay. Again, if, if you if you feel more comfortable going out in public wearing that that that's all well and good to me go ahead and do it but i think for most people we're, we're ready to move on and get back with our life and i don't think that we're making the world significantly more dangerous by doing that mike in illinois mike you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff how are you 
Good. What do you think? So it's interesting. Uh, the mask mandate in Illinois was yesterday, uh, the end of it. And um, I go pretty much into this grocery store every day and most of the same time, same checkout person. And I put my mask on out of habit. And I walked in and she didn't have it on. And I realized it. Now, I've been wearing it now for, you know, pretty much two years because the nature of my business, stopping at, you know, accounts and stuff like that, majority being in Wisconsin. Um, but the last few months, I realized that it's probably mostly optics because almost mm-hmm. every place I went into in Wisconsin, other than restaurants, they weren't wearing their masks. Yeah. Oh, oh no. I think there's. I think there's clearly a lot of virtue signaling that, that's going on there, and I think a lot of people have rejected it. No, thanks for the call, Mike. I mean, I, I. I think that you know, at some point in time, look, and I, I get it. I'm getting some texts from people who are never ready to move on. I, I get it. It's I, well, I'm immunocompromised, and I'm really worried. And but but I think that fear is now beyond COVID, and and that may very well be good. If if you're immune compromised, maybe the concern isn't COVID. You don't want to get a cold. You don't want to get the flu. You don't want to. Experience change germs. I, I, I understand that. And that's why there is for you, if it makes you feel safer, that that's great. Go out and, and do that. For the vast majority of people, though, I, I think the general reaction is, okay, we're, we're ready to get back to normal. And truthfully, if you were being honest, we've really been close to back to normal for a while. I, I look at some of these communities where there are the mask rules and stuff, and you look at the sporting events, and nobody's wearing the masks. That, that's, that, was, that was 2020, and that was maybe the first part of 2021 calling. And I understand some folks don't like to hear that, and there's some folks that are convinced that, you know, the, that where everybody's going to die of COVID, regardless regardless of the fact that the numbers are down and things like that. And if that's how you feel and you feel that this is what you need to be safe and secure and to sleep at night and to be able to go out in public, that, that, that's great. But I think the vast majority of people are, are past that unless there is a requirement. Now, somebody texts me and says, well, doctors wear them when they're performing surgery. Yeah, doctors wear them when they're performing surgery because you you have a very very difficult different situation. Okay, if you've got somebody who's on on the surgical table, they're opened up and they're doing a heart transplant. They are especially susceptible to to germs. Yes, and the doctors scrub themselves down with antiseptic soap and things like that. That's a far different cry, you know, doing heart surgery on somebody than it is. I don't know, standing in line at a grocery store. But I get it. Some people don't want to see that particular distinction. So you know, what what can you, Jeff? You're not a medical expert we, we this is you know you're out of your league when you come on this well and again i understand there's people who are in a panic they're they're in a panic and they're convinced that you got to have these masks and everybody's going to die if they're not going to do it i just think that that's for most people they have passed that particular attitude so if you want to continue to wear masks that's fine if businesses decide that they think it is important to continue to have the mask rules i think it's fine but again i, I think we're now reaching the point, and you see that with the mask rules expiring by government fiat. I think most people are ready to get on with their lives, and that means going out in public. And if you're not comfortable in that, well, then don't go out in public or, you know, wear your mask. And the flip side is I think those of us who choose to go out in public without our masks need to agree not to be judgmental about the people who, who still want to do it because that's their that's their choice as well and i think there's going to be a small percentage again that 5 to 10% who will continue to do that and that's fine go go with god but i think these mask rules are going to be very very quickly a thing of the past for the vast majority of people and i think it's more than time that that occurs back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner 
This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Don't know the person's name, but I've got a nominee for Worst Person of the Month, and this would be for February. Story on Fox 6. And, and look, we, we all know there's an epidemic of stolen cars. Um, this year, most recent numbers, 1,472 cars stolen. That's according to the Milwaukee Police. Last year at this time, it was 1,424. So even even last year, which was an all-time record by about 130% increase of stolen cars, we're, we're ahead of that. There's an average of like 26 cars stolen a day. Matter of fact, Milwaukee police say a total of 26 vehicles were stolen on Sunday alone. But but here's the story. Woman's name is Julie, and Fox 6 had the story. Um, Julie goes to church. She goes to Mass on Sunday to honor what would have been her mother's 85th birthday. She's in church on Sunday. She comes out, smashed glass all over the parking lot, and her car is gone. So somebody stole her car while she was at Mass. To make the matter worse, I mean, her mom had had recently apparently passed away. Sunday would have been her mom's 85th birthday. Her mother's coat, which was one of her prized possessions, that, that was in the back of the car. So when the punk breaks out the window and steals the car, he's also stealing his mother, the woman's mother's coat. Now, of course, the, the punk, the thug that's doing this, you know, doesn't know the sentimental value. But she comes out from church. The car is gone. There's glasses all over. And she describes this as being a complete violation, which is why car theft is such a big deal, because that's exactly what it is. Apparently, um, police in investigating this, did see the stolen vehicle briefly spotted along with several other stolen vehicles driving erratically. When they arrived, they couldn't find it. Um, So Julie now has to find a new car, good luck with what's going on today, and replace the items in her vehicle. But she's like, you know, I'm just, I'm devastated about this. It's not just my mom's coat. But, you know, her comment is, you know, to the people who did this, she says, you have to be extremely smart to do what you're doing. You're calculating this brazen why don't you just put your mind to good use go to school well I think that might be advice you know go to school I guess my advice might be a little bit more I don't know a little bit more practical which is if you're stealing cars while people are in mass yeah it's too bad you decided to do that instead of going to school my response would be go to jail stay in jail for a while and hopefully you will learn that you do not victimize people in this fashion Go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and stop victimizing law-abiding citizens. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so Michael Gableman testifying in front of the legislature today has released um, a draft of his report. It's 130 six pages then and he says there there might be more but this is what we have found before now there's going to be some headlines in in this and one of the headlines is he says well maybe there's a maybe there's a basis for like decertifying wisconsin's election i'm I'm sorry that that, that's crazy talk and the the faster we move away from that the better it's going to be you're not going to overturn the results of the presidential election joe biden is not going to be frog frog marched out of 
of the Oval Office. It, it's just not going to happen. And I, I don't think it, it's constructive to do that, which isn't to say, and I've been trying to make this argument all along, that there's not things that occurred, for example, in Wisconsin in the 2020 election that might not have been the best practice or might have been questionable under the law, in part because Wisconsin election laws are vague and because you have an elections board that says one thing, you have a court that didn't get the Supreme Court that decided not to get involved. You have a legislature that's just paralyzed with politics. So you can't clear up these things. And as I've always argued, just because something is unclear doesn't make it fraud. I mean, just the, the, the elections board, for example, may very well have been incorrect and it, in its advice on, on ballot drop boxes, for example. The, the ability to, you know, have these boxes that people can return the ballots to outside of business hours of, of clerk's offices. They, they might have been wrong in saying that was legal, but it wasn't a crime to do that. It was their interpretation of state law. And, and so we, we need to clear these things up and it doesn't, at least in my opinion, mean that there's fraud. There is an avenue, and there is one aspect of the Gableman report, though, that I think, while not being fraud, does generate, I think, a conversation about whether it is something that could and should be permitted. And, and that's that's the whole concept of of Zuckbucks. Now, if let me, I'm going to try to make this as, as simple as as possible. Mark Zuckerberg, the, the, the Facebook guy. All right, he his he essentially is the money behind this thing called the Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL. What happened during the 2020 election in Wisconsin and in other states was CTCL, the group, which is a lib- supposedly nonpartisan, but it's a liberal-leaning group. What they came and did is they offered cash to various communities for get-out-the-vote efforts and, and things like that. Now, one of the conditions was these communities had to work in consultation with members of the, this group, CTCL. But the bottom line was there were limits on, on what could be done. Okay, so you say, okay, well, what's the problem, Jeff? You know, you, you've got this group that, that's giving the, this money to communities for get-out-the-vote efforts. Isn't that a good thing? Well, well, here's how it worked in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin... The people are people are politically clustered. Um, the vast geographically, the vast majority of the state is Republican. Democrats tend to cluster in a couple urban area, in a couple areas, Dane County in general, <clears throat> and the city of Madison in particular. That is a huge cluster of Democrat voters. The city of Milwaukee in particular, and Milwaukee County in general tends to be heavily democratic city of Racine would be the the same sort of way so if you are going to do a get out the vote effort and you're going door to door in the city of Milwaukee you knock on eight doors and you register ten doors and you register people to vote eight out of those ten voters potential voters are, are probably more likely to be Democrat than Republican. It's not saying they have to be, but that's probably where the numbers are. Same thing is true in Madison. Same thing is true in Racine. Same thing is true in the city of Green Bay. So what happened with this group is they took millions and millions of dollars, like over $8 million, and they decided to, working with the the local communities, they invested in these get-out-the-vote efforts. The overwhelming majority of the money 
went to Milwaukee, it went to Green Bay, it went to Madison. And the result was, so the, the clerks and stuff go out, they do the, the turn out the vote effort, and they are turning out, you know, in all likelihood, they are turning out Democrat voters, just because that's where the money is being spent. And there's been a number of different studies that look into this, and that's that's kind of what the conclusion is, that by doing this, and it's not saying that they were looking to turn out, oh, you know, you, you have to be a Joe Biden voter. That's what not, this is not, that's not what this was all about. But it was, here, we're going to go into heavily Democratic districts. We're going to spend all this money on voter turnout. And the result is it, it benefits the defendants. It benefits de- Democrats the most. Now, there's a lot of different, you know, studies that are out there, but there's no question that it turned out more Democrat voters than Republican voters. Now, does that mean it's enough to change the course of the election? I, I don't know. Some speculation says yes. But here you have a private group that put all this money in. They generated turnout the vote stuff, but they they did it in the fashion they did it, where they did it and where they put the money heavily benefited one party as opposed to the other. I don't believe that what happened was illegal, and I want to be real clear about that from the beginning. I, I don't think it was illegal. I think the law allowed this to happen. That isn't to say, though, that you should be able to do this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I guess I, I have two messages, and I'm inviting comment on this. First of all, to the extent that the law is unclear and allows this to happen, well, then moving forward in 2022 and in 2024, what you need to see is you need to see heavily financed conservative-leaning groups that are doing the same thing with grants to, again, local communities that are more heavily Republican in order to balance this out, if, if, if this is, in fact, legal and it's going to go on. But I guess the bigger picture is, should we, Republican or Democrat, should we have private groups coming in and putting millions and millions of dollars into uh, not not partisan turnout the vote efforts, not supporting the campaigns, but but working with different communities and election boards and things like that to finance the get out the vote efforts. Is that really a, is that the type of public private partnership, especially when it's going to be run in a fashion that that does have the potential, at least, for benefiting one political party. Is that good for, is it good for anybody? I mean, if instead of all this money going into the city of Milwaukee and into Madison, if instead that the money was poured into, I don't know, Waukesha County or Ozaki County or Washington County, if it was poured into those areas disproportionately, would, would the other side be screaming foul? Again, I don't think this was illegal. I don't believe that. But I don't think it's a best practice. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I, I think it should be stopped. I, I don't think private operations, whether they call themselves nonpartisan or not, should be pouring millions of dollars into what effectively is turn out the vote efforts in heavily partisan areas. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I don't think this practice was illegal. And I have nothing wrong with get-out-the-vote efforts, but let's understand what happened. You had a liberal-leaning organization that came in, got in bed with some of the heavily democratic areas of the state, and poured in a ton of money to get out the vote and get people registered and things like that, which might be fine, but the effect of doing this was to turn out and register a lot more Democrats than it was Republicans. Now, if you're a Democrat, you go, well, that, that's just great. You know, we're, we're turning out the vote. But, okay, you're using essentially money poured into the local communities to, to do that through the elections board. If, what, if again, if, you, if Mark Zuckerberg decides he wants to take this group and finance his own sort of get-out-the-vote efforts independent of the elections board and things like that, well, then there's rules and you can do it. But this was, I believe, a co-option of various local governments. I'm not saying it was illegal. Some people think it was. I, I don't believe it was the case. And I do think that unless you can clear up the law, it's something that's going to be done again. So I think the message is to Republicans, you know, you got to go out and find some of your big donors and respond in, in kind. 855-616-1620. Jason in McGuanago. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing today, Jeff? What do you think? I'm good. I think when you have money pouring into a system and it's asymmetrically benefiting one group over the other, I just don't think it's a best practice, if you, as you pointed out, just in terms of there's so much division in this world. I mean, we're already at, you know, I don't know how you even quantify division between political parties, but in my lifetime, I'm 45 years old, in my lifetime, I've never seen anything like we see now. And when you've got all this money pouring into the system, that's just overwhelmingly benefiting one group over the other it's not having a better societal good and how you how you monitor or, or um stop that within the parameters of of our constitution or you know however legally you'd be able to monitor that that's another discussion but i just think fundamentally it's just not a good idea thanks for the call jason well and, and what makes this unique is this was done essentially through the local governments and, and this is where you, you essentially had this this group that claims to be nonpartisan, but it's not, that ended up getting in bed and working hand-in-hand hand with the, the local election boards, etc., the, the local clerk's offices. This this isn't like, oh, gee, you've got some super PAC that's out there that, independent of the operations of the various election boards, is, is trying to do its own voter registration and things like that. That's To me, that is a different sort of, of scenario, and, and that's something that's been going on, you know, since the beginning of time, where you have the different groups that are out there, the Republicans, the Democrats, or whatever, or the, the different groups that are trying to register folks, that's a different scenario than what happened here. This is done in a different fashion. And again, I don't, I don't think it's illegal. At least that's my interpretation of it. I think you can make a strong argument that it perhaps should be illegal and certainly isn't best practice because you would think that you would want to do everything you can to keep the elections commissions keep the clerks as far away as they possibly can from the influence of special interest group money as opposed to again wedding them together which is what ended up happening here 855-616-1620 jason on the northwest side um vincent on the northwest side hi vincent how you doing how you doing just good afternoon good. 
Uh, first of all, I, I see nothing wrong with this. Uh, the fact is, it's, it's not illegal. The fact is that that Republican uh, uh, donors, whoever or, or organizations, could do the same thing in this particular in this state. The fact is, is that just the Democrats came up with the idea, and uh, a Democratic organization or a so-called independent organization came into the uh, uh, Democratic counties and, and cities, then did it, 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 it becomes an issue. The fact is that there, there's, there's, there's millions of dollars spilt, spent by shadow companies putting on all these commercials, donating to candidates that we don't even know who the heck is doing it. it, 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 it it's absolutely ridiculous how much money is put in, into campaigns. And so now that the fact is that, that, that a Democratic uh, or, uh, or an independent organization came into a Democratic counties, it's, it's an issue. It's not illegal. It, it, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't seem to be a problem. But is it best, well, but is and, it best and, practice? And, and, no, 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 work with me. Is, is it best practice? So let's, let's say that for the 2024 election, you have a conservative group financed by, you know, whoever that decides that they are going to pick the Republican areas, the heavily Republican areas in the state of Wisconsin, and they're going to give money to the local election clerks to help turn out the vote. You you don't think that that's going to be an issue? You don't think the Democrats are going to be screaming about it? And you you really think that that's good practice to have the money being funneled directly into the the different municipal offices? Oh, it, 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 it's, it's, to me, if the Republicans decide to do it, it's fine. Uh, you know, because the fact is, is that it, it, it's not. First of all, it's not directly. It's, it's put into organizations. A lot of this money went to organizations in in, in 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 these different areas. It didn't go directly. A lot of it didn't go directly into uh, basically uh, uh, the election commission in in in, in Milwaukee or or or, or uh, Green Bay. The fact is, a lot of this money went out to organizations within the city, and, and, and to get out the vote. And so that's that's that the, the boots on the ground came from organizations. It didn't come from 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 uh, the uh, election commission. It came from organizations that are in these particular cities. No? Okay. The boots on the ground. Saying, the people well, who knocked on the doors. Were, no, no, no. And I understand. No, I understand that. No, Vince. I, I get it. I, I understand. It was money that that went in to these get out the vote efforts that were sanctioned through the different clerks organizations and, and through the municipal governments. And, and and if you don't think that's a problem, that that's okay. But then don't come whining two years from now when, you know, Republicans decide to do the same thing and pick and choose and they pick the heavily Republican areas and they invest disproportionate amounts of money. Now, I, I mean, a, a lot of this, and it is kind of the irony of these things. I'm hearing from the text line from all these Democrats who are, oh, this is fine. You know, what's the big deal? There, there's no problem with this because it, it helped their side win. I get it. I understand all that. that that's fine. But then don't complain when the same thing happens a couple years from now and it turns out that the money is on the other side. I am simply saying I, I think that it would be a better practice all along to divorce these special interest groups from the operations of municipal governments, not have them working hand in hand. And again, if you want to have get out the vote efforts, that's fine. Get out the vote. That's been going on all the time. But when you use essentially the municipal governments to do that, that's where there's the problem. And just because your side did it successfully in 2020, 
all right, maybe you think that there's no problem. Well, then, like I say, don't come screaming and whining when the other side does it in 2022 or 2024 and you have a different result. Wouldn't it be better to just get that money out of at least the system the way it was put in this way? Wouldn't that make for a better election process? I would argue yes. For everybody who thinks that it benefits their side this time, all right, just be careful what you wish for because those pendulums swing. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Look, I, I might end up being a contraindicator on this. But I think the war in Ukraine is going poorly for Russia. And I think the longer it stretches out, the longer that Ukrainians are able to put up a resistance, the more likely it is that the economic sanctions that pretty much the rest of the world are leveling on Russia is going to force, force them to either negotiate a settlement or just back out entirely or alternatively, cause people inside Russia to depose Vladimir Putin. Now, now hear, hear me out on this. I told you at the start of the show, some of the reports are, and it's from U.S. intelligence, and so you have to wonder, is there a propaganda effect on this? But one of the things that the U.S. intelligence has been doing over the course of the last few weeks is they have been announcing what, what Putin was going to do before he did it. And they've been pretty much spot on with this. And it's one of the ways they have of combating the, the Russian propaganda. They're getting in front saying, this is what Putin is planning to do, and then, then he ends up doing it. Told you at the start of the hour that while you see the pictures of this 40-mile-long convoy that's headed to Kiev, to Kiev, it's not making much progress because of supply chain problems and they're running out of gas and food and things like that. There's reports that some Russian soldiers who are largely conscripts who didn't have any idea that they were going to get thrown into a shooting war are punching holes in their gas tanks and things like that. Now, uh, that clearly Russia remains you know, able to outgun Ukraine. But at the same time, for people who thought that this was going to be a two-day walkover, it's not. Now, unfortunately, the longer the military campaign goes on, the, the higher the civilian total is. And so now you have people labeling Vladimir Putin a war criminal. And I think that that's I think that that's actually appropriate. But I've been looking at what the rest of the free world can do without actually sending troops in and getting into a shooting war, which then, you know, inflames this. And, and you see all sorts of economic sanctions that governments are putting in place and then just other things that businesses are doing. So let's just kind of review the bidding just a little bit. The stock market today is down about 700 points. And, and so clearly what is going on in Ukraine is having an influence on the stock market in America and other stock markets across the world. Okay, but but that's, you know, 700 points isn't great, but it's not like it's um, just a, a complete and total free fall. Meanwhile, in Russia, here's what ended up happening. In Russia, the interest rates went from like 
10% overnight to 20%. There has been a run on cash. You see like lines of people just lined up block after block after block trying to take the money, their money out of ATMs, get as much money as they can out. The reason that the central bank increased the interest rate to 20% is they're trying to encourage Russians to keep their money in the bank or put it back in. So you, you have that going on. You have the Russia, you have Russia, which has essentially been closed off from accessing foreign money. So the, the whole idea is that if, if Russia thought that gee, we could access other money we have in banks in the U.S. or in Great Britain or in Switzerland or whatever, they, they haven't been able to do that. And so that they can't get money in to finance the war effort. And now you have all sorts of other companies who are just acting. Now, as we've said before, Russia is largely a gas station. It's unlike China. China is much more complicated because China makes things that they import to the rest of, of the world. Okay, that's China. But Russia is different. Russia's economy largely is driven by the fact that they produce, you know, natural gas and oil, and they ship it out. Well, one of the things that you're starting to see happen is a lot of of companies are have decided they're not going to do business with Russia anymore. Um, here, here's the deal, and I'm, I'm looking at a story in the Wall Street Journal that just came out. What you have is a number of refiners across the world who have simply decided they're not going to buy Russian oil. And you have a number of banks who will not finance shipments of Russian commodities. And what they're saying all across the world is, look, they don't know where these sanctions are going to hit, and and they don't want to lend money to a a Russian producer to um, pay to ship oil somewhere because they don't know what's going to happen with that oil. They don't know if there's going to be a sanction put in place and they're never going to be able to get their money back. And so what what happens is they say it's making it very, very complex to trade with Russia. So there's all sorts of other things that are being done as well. But Vladimir Putin has been able to do something that I don't think – I would have never necessarily dreamed possible you could do in a week, which is managed to unite the vast majority of the world against him, and you now have all these different sanctions that are put in place. Wall Street Journal has a story that they just came out with within the last hour or so. Apparently there are a number of Russian oligarchs, you know, the, the billionaires, that really are the key to Putin's power, and a lot of these billionaires have assets all over the world, and they they are starting to denounce the war effort. Now, it might be lip service. I don't mean who knows about that, because they are terrified that the next shoe to fall is going to be their assets in Great Britain, in the United States, in France, wherever. Their assets are now going to be frozen which you know denies them their access to their money. And if you want to really figure out how you hurt rich people, well, you take the money away from them. So you, you have the, these sanctions that are starting to be put in place. Now, the downside is, I mean, who's getting hurt right now the most by these sanctions? Well, it's the average Russian. It, it's the person that's now seen interest rates spike up that's now you know standing in line for you know hours and hours and hours hoping there's going to be some money in the ATM so i mean this the these sanctions unfortunately hit the russian people at least right now more than they hit the russian government but 
I mean, that's kind of how you affect change in some respects. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I firmly believe that the longer this goes on and the more the economic sanctions are ratcheted up, the more likely it is that there is a positive outcome. And by positive outcome, I mean we, we stop the shelling, we stop the civilian life, and Vladimir Putin pulls back back the tanks, and, and you head back to, to Russia, and we get back to a more normal sense. Okay, can sanctions possibly work? Or is this just going to continue and continue and continue until you have Russia taking over Ukraine? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, sanctions only work if they're if they're applied pretty much across the board. You know, if the United States tries to do something unilaterally and everybody in Europe ignores it, well, okay, it's not going to work. In this case, though, I think you've seen most of the free world come together. And there's a couple of countries that have been a little bit disappointing. Turkey would be one. But uh, the United they've come together and they are united. And candidly, I think the longer this goes on, the more of a problem it poses for Russia. 855-616-1620. Can sanctions work, and how does this end? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is senior realtors Bruce and Gene Nemovitz. Trust, experience, integrity. Are you a senior looking to sell your home or someone looking to help a family member downsize? Well, with over 20 years of experience, Bruce and Gene are dedicated to providing the best services to seniors and their families. To learn more, visit brucesteam.com or call 262-242-6177. Look, I, 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 nothing's easy here. But one of the things that I have been really amazed at over the last week has been the fact that the free world has come together with these sanctions. And, you know, I, I understand that we see the pictures on television of, of the bombs and the, the convoys and stuff like that. But behind the scenes, if you understand what's going on in the world, it's not a pretty picture for Russia. You have long lines. Um, to try to get cash out. You have the interest rate that's going up. You have the free world, which is pretty much um, isolated Russia, so that you know they're 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 having trouble accessing any sort of assets the country has outside of their country. So how do you finance a war effort if you can't get that? You know, Russia's uh, the airspace is being closed down to Russian planes, so there's almost like no no travel that's allowed here. And you've got foreign governments that have pretty much moved to block most of the Russian banking system from key international markets. And, and that, at some point in time, you've got to pay the troops. You, you've got you to pay for all the, the stuff. And at home, if you have this disruption that's there, you've got the average Russian who I don't think understands why they're taking on the Ukraine to begin with, and now you're standing in these lines, and you go, my gosh, the interest rate's just gone up to 20%, and it's getting higher, and the stock market is cratered. You know, we, we don't like it when the stock market goes down 700 points. Can you imagine if the stock market drops half its value in Russia? 855-616-1620. Don in Milwaukee. Don, good afternoon. Uh, thank you, Jeff. First time caller. Love the show. Thank you, sir. Uh, you know, I don't think the sanctions go far enough. I think that uh, because the invasion was pretty much launched from Belarus, 
Belarus ought to feel the pain that Russia's feeling right now. And I would hope that the, the world would look at it that way, too. We'll yeah, do you, think, do you think sanctions could work? I think they can. I think they can. I think they're, they're showing that they're beginning to. Uh, as you said earlier, that it's a unified front now. Uh, yeah. Before, if only we do it, no, it's not going to work. But I think when we unify, we can, we can control that. And we are in a world economy. It's a global economy, no doubt about that. And we're going to have our differences. Uh, countries will. But I think we need to work those out and work them out peacefully. Uh, we need to end the idea of war and just, you know, for the power's sake or the, the power grabs like Putin is doing. Yeah, thanks for calling. Yeah, the, the the pure war of aggression. I mean, one of one of the tips. I mean, one of the indicators to me was early on when Germany, which you know is a big energy exporter. What about fifty percent of the the energy Germany uses comes this pipeline in in Russia, and, and you know Germany was moving to to shut down part of that. So that that to me is a factor. At some point in time, you, you choke off the money. And what happens is you lose support. I, I also think some of these stories, and again, I, I don't know how much faith you put in it, but these stories about these oligarchs, and again, that, how do you hurt rich people? Well, you make them less rich. That, that, that's just that's just one of the things. And you've got all these oligarchs, which are, are at its heart, the oligarchs, the billionaires, they are the ones that have propped up Putin all along. He loses support from the oligarchs who are concerned that this war of aggression now is going to result in them losing their stuff. We, we, we know where they're going to, they're going to take our homes. They're, our private jets can't fly where we want to fly. We can't, um, the companies we have can't engage in, in transactions. So we're, we're losing money. Well, okay, at some point in time, then you go, Vlad, what, what's going on here? We need to work out an end game. So you have that at the top. Then you have the average Russian person who's now standing in the long line to get their hard-earned rubles out that are now worth a lot less than they were before, and whose kids are dying in Ukraine because they, they, you know, they thought they were getting drafted to go and do some military maneuvers, and now they're stuck in a war that the average Russian citizen doesn't understand. Now, I understand Russia's got this huge, you know, propaganda machine that's out there, but this isn't. 1940. This is a different world with people having access to, I don't know, the internet and the cell phones and the things like that. So it's tougher. It's tougher for a state, even a, a state, a totalitarian state like Russia. It's tougher for them to control the flow of information and and portray this as anything other than what it is, which is a war of of aggression. Jeff, the Russian stock market has closed. The Russian dollar, the ruble, is worth less than one penny. Yeah. Jeff, um, ultimately, the wealthy people in Russia will not stand for Putin's miscalculation. I think it's possible that they will remove him from power. Um, uh, let's see, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I think some type of concession will have to be offered to Putin to allow him to save face. Otherwise, he will just keep going. Yeah, I I mentioned this yesterday. I think that, and and I want to be real clear here because you, you don't want to sound like you're somebody that's appeasing him. That this this man is a war criminal. And the sooner he is ultimately removed from power, the better off I think the world is, is going to be. At the same time, you, there needs to be some sort of, I was using the phrase, diplomatic off-ramp, some way that you can allow Putin to save some sort of, of face 
moving forward, or else then you, you or else it's like, okay, we're going to just ratchet this up, and if you feel that there's no way you can save face without a complete and total victory, then, then what you see is you see the carpet bombing of the cities, and you see the massive civilian casualties. So I, I don't think it's appeasement, and I'm certainly not talking about that, but I'm thinking if there's a way that you can save the, give the guy some way to save face, if, if it stops killing of civilians, if it ends the carnage, that's fine. I don't know that there is that off-ramp, but I do know the more the allies ratchet up the pressure, the better I think it's going to be. Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great topic. You know, coming from a staunch conservative who foreign policy is a huge hobby of mine, I really thought that Biden screwed this up like a typical, you know, Biden in office being weak. But you know what? In hindsight, we're all talking about this isolationism of Russia, and we've talked about this world coming together. And while I I do think part of it is just because you have a free sovereign nation under attack, Mm -hmm. I definitely think that Biden's approach uh, to bring the world into it, when you see countries like Sweden and you see countries like Switzerland, Switzerland, and even Germany, for example, with a relationship, with relationship, I do think Biden deserves credit. I'm just going to say it. And I think we could really use this as a moment in time to bring our country back towards the center. And that comes from a staunch conservative. So I just wanted to let you guys know that. Yeah, Scott, thanks for calling. I, I, I have been, I, I have tried to be measured in my response because I, I agree with you. This is a situation where Biden does not need to be the leader of the free world. What Biden needs to be is one of the members of the free world that is united with all the other members of the free world with sanctions. And and who cares at this point in time who is the leader? And I don't know that he's necessarily in the forefront, but that's okay, because maybe this is a situation where you don't want to make it about America versus Russia. You want to make it about the world versus this act of of aggression. And and that's, that's fine. That's why, I mean, I didn't criticize Biden a week ago when he came and he made his announcement and he said, Look, there, there's certain sanctions that I'm not going to impose right now because some of the other countries aren't on board with that. And some people were quick to jump on him and criticize him. And I, I thought, no, that kind of makes sense. Let's do this progressively. Let's do it with the world so it ends up having an effect. Because at the end of the day, you, you want this... You, you want this to end. If it ends somehow with Vladimir Putin being put out of office, all the better. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Just one more thought for today on, on what's going on in Ukraine. I, I hope I'm not looking at this with too much rose-colored glasses, but I firmly believe that Vladimir Putin has made an epic miscalculation which will forever affect the way he is viewed and, and may affect the way you know Russia is dealt with moving forward. I mean, here, here's just a couple of minutes ago, Wall Street Journal. Russian forces bombarded the Ukrainian city of Kharkiv and hit, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and hit the capital's TV tower as Moscow, frustrated in its plans for a quick victory, shifted to a new strategy of pummeling civilian areas in an attempt to demoralize Ukrainian resistance and reignite its slowing military advice. 
Um, and, and then it goes on to show how they're they're now starting to uh, attack civilian areas, airstrikes in residential neighborhoods that are killing civilians, etc. And and the, the president of Ukraine is saying, look, a missile targeting the central square of a city is open, undisguised terrorism. It's terrorism that aims to break us, to break our resistance. So you might say to me, well, Jeff, I don't I don't understand. What do you mean when you think that this is kind of showing the, the desperation? Well, I, I think Putin thought that this was going to be a walkover, that you bring in the tanks and that the Ukrainians aren't going to resist and the world is not going to unite against him and then pretty soon you're going to have that. That's not what this has turned out to be. When you, in a war of aggression, are nakedly targeting civilian areas for the stuff that they're doing, it tells me that you are getting desperate. And and unfortunately, you don't know what... uh, ends that desperation is going to take you to and it may very well get um, you know worse before it gets better but it's an indication to me that things are not going as they were planned and the more you have the sanctions and the more the Ukrainians resist the more difficult I think it comes uh, it deals with it's, it is for a, a dictator like Russia or like Putin to deal with the situation and I, I, I've said this before I always always caution on, on references to Hitler and Nazism and things like that because it gets thrown around a lot and it's almost never appropriate but this this is a war of aggression which is not unlike you know what Hitler did in the late 1930s and didn't end well for Hitler I'm not sure it's going to end well for Putin hopefully though it ends before you know it, it escalates into something like we saw in the 1940s so that the Russians now appear to be targeting civilian areas which in and of itself is not good it may however be an indication that they're starting to become more and more desperate all right let us completely and totally switch gears What's in a name? Thomas Jefferson. Let me just kind of review the the background here. Um, Thomas Jefferson was, of course, one of the founding fathers. He was the in 1779. He was the governor of Virginia. Um, he went on to. Um, he was one of the people who was responsible for writing the Declaration of Independence. Um, he was one of he was a minister to, to France at the time of the founding of this republic. He was the Secretary of State under George Washington. He was the Vice President of the United States. He became the third President of the United States as well. He is again the classic founding father during the time that Jefferson was the President of the United States. Um, he was responsible for the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, which um, pretty much what doubled the size of of the nation. Um, so he served two terms as President of the United States. He's, I think, generally regarded as, well, you know, of the different founding fathers, one of the people who is most responsible for establishing, you know, the government that that we know of now. Thomas Jefferson was not a perfect person. Thomas Jefferson was from Virginia. He was a a quote-unquote gentleman farmer. And as a gentleman farmer, um, Thomas Jefferson had slaves. He, um, his writings on the whole issue of slavery was, were very, very 
conflicted. Um, he he had slaves, but he claimed throughout the latter part of his life to abhor slavery as a violation of natural rights. But nevertheless, he 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 owned slaves during his lifetime as people of his social status in the late 1700s did. So that that's the background. I mean, a founding father, guy who is very, very responsible for the, the, the government that we have now, but but yet a conflicted sort of background. So why are we doing, why are we talking about Thomas Jefferson? Well, here's the story from Madison. Thomas Jefferson Middle School will be the next Madison public school considered for a name change. Apparently, the principal of the school asked the school board to launch the renaming process. Um, The school, again, has been named after the third president of the U.S., principal author of the Declaration of Independence, a key advisor on drafting of the Constitution, but he was a slave owner. So... The one of the Madison board school board members says, I think it's important. I think we have to change the way we remember history. We have to be real, but also thoughtful about the reality of enslavement in this country. So they will now be deciding whether or not we have to essentially cancel Thomas Jefferson because despite all the different things that he had accomplished, he was, in fact, a slave owner. Now, this request comes after the school board voted unanimously to rename James Madison Memorial High School, again, because Madison was a slave owner, which has caused me to raise the question on multiple occasions, well, if if you can't have James Madison Memorial High School, how, in fact, can we continue to have the city of Madison um, which, by the way, is also named after James Madison. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, at some point in time, do we need to put up a stop sign to the cancel culture? Does removing Thomas, we're not talking about a Confederate general. We're, we're not talking about a statue to Robert E. Lee. We are talking about the, the third president of the United States and arguably a man that if he was not where he was at the time he was, who knows what our government would look like now. He was a slave owner. All right, does that disqualify him for having his name on public buildings? How far do we go with the cancel culture? And by removing Thomas Jefferson's name from the name of this middle school, do we really make anybody's life any better at all? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be no, but we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let me share a couple texts with you, which kind of give you the idea of where people are on this. If you're just tuning in, uh, Thomas Jefferson. Everybody's heard of Thomas Jefferson. He was one of the founding fathers in a leading light. He was instrumental in drafting the, the Bill of the, the Declaration of Independence, the third president of the country. He was the vice president under George Washington. Um, just 
we, we do not have the government and the country we have now without somebody like Jefferson. And he has been, I think, revered for, you know, I think the, the better part of American history. But now with today's cancel culture, you're getting a, a different look at this because as a product of his time, he was what they call, quote, unquote, a gentleman farmer from Virginia, and, and he owned slaves. Now, in the public writings, he said he abhorred slavery, but, but he owned he owned slaves. So let me just give you a, a couple ideas of the text to show you where people are. Jeff, Thomas Jefferson is my favorite president of all time. This is ridiculous. People need to get a life. Okay, so you've got that there. And again, keep in mind, Jefferson isn't Robert E. Lee. So this he's not Stonewall Jackson. This is not a monument to a Confederate general that led a an insurrection, if you want to use that word, uh, against the, the United States government. I mean, this is this is Thomas Jefferson who was and, and nobody's endorsing slavery. I think it's the original sin of American history. But but nevertheless he was a product of his time. So Thomas Jefferson is my favorite president of all time. This is ridiculous. People need to get a life. Okay, the very next text that comes in says, Jeff, I don't care what else you've done. If you willingly participate in owning people, you don't deserve to have the honor of a school named after you. What does that teach our kids? See, I think that's a real interesting thing. If you willingly participate in owning people. Now, of course, if you were to argue, hey, in in 2020, somebody 2022, somebody willingly participate in owning people, it's something. But, you know, judging, is it fair to judge Jefferson by the standards of 2022? Is it fair to judge Jefferson by the standards of 1860? You know, at the time we were getting involved in the Civil War. Or, you know, do you judge him by the standards of, of the time? And nobody's endorsing, I mean, slavery. I don't think you are. But the question is, can you... Do, do people have to be perfect? Can you not look at this and say the guy was a product of his time? And, and really, I mean, does this make anybody's life any better now? I, I mean, if you change the name, you, we, we scrub the name of Thomas Jefferson off of, of a building, what, what exactly have we accomplished? And by the way, we're, we're trying to do that with James Madison. How can we continue to have the... How can we continue to have the city of Madison named after that? Jeff, so we do, do, do we just eliminate history because of the sins of our ancestors, or do we try to learn from them? Should we remove Abraham Lincoln from the history books and eliminate the Emancipation Proclamation as well? Well, I mean, keep in mind, in Madison, there is this effort that some people have launched to try to get rid of the Lincoln Memorial that's out there for exactly, you know, that. Um, Jeff, the people who are asking for change are people who I don't think are, are right. Um, well, I, I, I don't know. I think that sometimes it's like, you know, what are you protesting? And the answer is kind of like, what have you got? Jeff, I'll donate for the stop sign. I think, you know, people that want to ignore history need to have genealogy testing done to see, you know, maybe what their <laughs> what their ancestors were involved in. Jeff, I think the cancel culture is incubating hate. The founders are untouchable, um, so um, so no lead. I think what you need to do is leave the name alone. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I think it's fair if you want to, if, if you want to teach 
the various aspects of, of Thomas Jefferson and say, look, this is this is all that he did. This guy was it was a great man in all these different categories. But you know what? He he was also a slave owner, as as was George Washington, and as were all the other founding fathers. And you know, like I say, I think that's the original sin that this that the country you know slavery was the original sin but does that mean that you just i don't know just denounce all these different people and say okay well we're not we're not even going to talk about all the things that they accomplished in trying to found the country jeremy and racine jeremy you're on wtmj good afternoon hi thanks for taking my call the, the thing about thomas jefferson he's done so much for this country he pretty much doubled the size of the country by purchasing the louisiana purchase and by doing that secured the Mississippi Delta, which allowed a mass transit system, uh, natural transit system for us to produce goods and get it to the market for the world. It's He's done a lot of other things that were positive for the country. Now you can argue about the expansion and, and the things we've done with the Indians and such like that, but he's done so much more. And I wish people would understand the full extent of the history of an individual before they just start making these knee-jerk uh, political correct uh, decisions. Right. No, thanks, Nicole. I, I, I agree. You know, and, and you were using, you know, you're talking about like the Native Americans and stuff. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the um, the objections that's out there now is we're, we're trying to cancel, for example, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, I believe, that it's okay. Well, he was, you know, he, you know, he, he led, you know, he was involved in some of the expansion, you know, westward, which, which resulted in unfair treatment of Native Americans. And look, I, I think it's perfectly appropriate to look back and say the, this particular policy or the way this was done was racist or, or whatever. And, and you know that in context. And it's fair to say, okay, this control contributes to our picture of of the person. I, I think that that's fair, and it's fair to have like a warts and all analysis. But I guess my beef is that we have to cancel people. We're, we're not allowed. We can't have Thomas Jefferson's name on a school, on a middle school building for goodness sakes, because somebody might be offended somewhere. Do you mean to tell me that seriously any of the graduates of Thomas Jefferson Middle School or anybody that went to Thomas Jefferson High School anywhere in the country? Do you mean to tell me that they walked into school every day? with a chip on their shoulder feeling, oh, I'm being besieged because I'm going to school in a building that was owned by the, this named after the person who was the third president of the United States. Let's talk to um, Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You know, I, I was just on the screen. You know, this is frustrating um, because as a nation, we have grown, we've changed and we've matured. There's something that all presidents say in their speech. They said that we're trying to create a more perfect union. There by no means have we been perfect on this journey. As humans, we're not perfect on this journey. Again, certainly, Jeff, you're not the same Jeff uh, Wagner that you were when you were 20 you know, or 30. You know, we, we, we make progress. And the fact that we're trying to look 200 years, 250 years back and look through this current lens and say, you know, this is how things should have been is, is utterly ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. context matters. It certainly matters. And I always, whenever I have these conversations, I look at Lincoln, right? Lincoln said some very, you know, interesting things, for lack of a better term, when he first took office and when he first got into politics. But he certainly matured into a much different individual years later. That's what we always do. If you hold Lincoln to that standard, we're going to look at Lincoln and say, oh, he wasn't that great because of some of the things he said. But do do, do we as a nation get to the point where we understand that progress is a thing? And that yeah. context matters. Those two things. Yeah. Have we forgotten those things? Yeah, Lamar. Thanks for the call. Absolutely. 
No, I, I'm with Lamar. Absolutely. I mean, and I, I think that's context matters. And uh, again, I think that this isn't the Robert E. Lee conversation. This is the third president of the United States, the Louisiana Purchase, the Declaration of Independence. You know, one of the the, the true leading lights among the, the founding fathers. And and yes, I think it is perfectly fair to say, you know, Jefferson was a product of his time, and Jefferson owned slaves. His views on slavery were all over the map, and, and clearly, you know, he expressed racist intentions in some of his writings. I don't think anybody could argue that. I think that's a fair commentary. But does that mean that you judge him in 2022 by 2022 standards, or do you say, okay, this guy was a product of his time. We need to learn. These were terrible things that, that were that were accepted as the norm in the 17 and 1800s. It, by the way, led to the Civil War in 1860, and, and maybe, you know, maybe it's still haunting us to this day, you know, 100 60 years later you can even make that argument as well but this idea that we we've got to just get rid of stuff and again i i keep going back to this notion about the selective outrage that people have i you you there's no question in my mind that the vast majority of people, this is an absolute non-issue for them. But you have a couple people who decide, okay, we're going to agitate. This is it. We got to get rid of Thomas Jefferson. We yes. I, I, somebody said, what do you do with Mount Rushmore? Good question. I, I I do not know. I think candidly, you could look at Mount Rushmore, and if you want to view it in the light of the cancel culture, you could probably say that all those faces on Mount Rushmore, you could find a reason why they should be sandblasted over. Does that make the the country any better does that i don't know change the lives of anybody one iota in 2022 my answer would be no lots of stuff coming up in the next hour don't go anywhere this is jeff wagner wtmj live from the annex wealth management studios this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. One fine, we've got a ton of text on the, the Thomas Jefferson renaming school controversy in the People's Republic of Madison. Here's my favorite text of the segment. Jeff, as a super ultra-liberal progressive, boy, we're covering all the bases there, I almost never listen to your show. My friend told me to tune in just now, and I can tell you that this woke culture has gone too far. We need to take a deep breath, stop renaming schools, and embracing people's his uh, stop in renaming schools and start embracing people for the totality of who they were. This is ridiculous, and again, this is coming from a liberal. Yeah, I, I I would also add that you know he says he's a super liberal progressive. I never listened to your program. Well, it's interesting because I, I also get texts from people who think that I have somehow become a super liberal progressive. Now, how you could think that, I don't exactly know, but people hear what they want to hear. All right, I was saying this in 1994. I think I was right then. I especially think that I am right now. Now, let me kind of back into th- this this topic. Uh, for the last four years, there has been a controversy about Lincoln Hills, which is the the juvenile prison. And remember, there were all these stories about how the inmates were being mistreated by the guards, etc., and there was incredible pressure to close Lincoln Hills and all that. And it now appears that, that, that that's moving on track, and the juvenile detention facility, at least the principal one, is going to be moved closer to or in Milwaukee County, which in many respects makes sense because... Not everybody, but but most of the juveniles that get sent to Lincoln Hills 
are, are from southeastern Wisconsin. So it makes sense to have them closer to home. So you've got that going on. I also want to share with you something that appears in the New York Times today. That, that it caught my attention because we talk a lot about crime on this program. And, and, and just to review the bidding, last year, 10,400 cars stolen. This year, um, over 1,400. More same time last this year than, than last year. Uh, 26 cars stolen a day. They, they catch very few of the people who steal cars. The most recent numbers I saw estimated that, you know, only about one in ten car thieves are actually caught. But what the numbers suggest is that of those car thieves that are caught, and so it's only a small percentage, about 60% are children under the age of 16. So, I mean, this, if, if, and again, I don't know if it's fair to extrapolate that out to all the car thefts. If you caught, caught everybody that stole a car, would you find that number to be true? But I, I think maybe. I, I would not be surprised if 50% of the cars are stolen or people are being stolen by people 16 and under. I mean, I'd, I, so you have a huge problem with juvenile crime that's out there. Anyhow, here, here's the New York Times story. Now, this isn't car theft. This is carjacking. Um, the quiet alley behind his mother's house was where Tariq Majid, a 45-year-old father of three, often came for uninterrupted work. He ran a car dealing uh, detailing business. Around midday on a two- chilly Tuesday in late January, he was deep cleaning the back seats of a client's BMW. He felt a nudge from behind, turned out to find it was a gun. The gunman, who was masked and, Mr. Majid estimated, could not have been older than a young teenager, demanded the keys. When he fumbled to get him out of his work apron, the young man slammed the gun into the bridge of his nose. When Majid doubled over, bleeding, the keys fell out on the apron. Seconds later, the car was gone. Police quickly found the BMW, which had been shut off remotely by an anti-theft system and left behind. Um, they told him that morning there had been another carjacking of a Dodge Durango at a shell station up the uh, street. The Dodge, too, had been abandoned, not far from where he was working. I honestly believe it's a game, he said. Stolen cars used to be stripped down with parts sold for cash, he said. Now people are carjacked, and the cars are often found afterwards, crashed, or just left on the street. He said it's a game. And then the story goes on to talk about how the number of carjackings has absolutely spiked. It's nearly quadrupled in Philadelphia from 2019 to 2021. It's on track to double this year. Chicago had more than 1,900 carjackings last year, the highest number in decades. New Orleans, two-thirds of the whole year's tally for 2019. Washington, D.C., no exception. And, And then it goes on to talk about why this might be happening. In part, the new cars that have the key fobs, you know, and, and you need them to drive the car any distance. So where it used to be people would break into the car and hotwire it and drive away, now you need the key fob. And that means a lot of times you've got to violently take that key fob from the, the person that has it. So they're talking about how that's leading to carjackings. But again, the point of this article is it's younger and younger people who are engaging in this, and, and it's it's happening in Milwaukee big time. We, we know that, and we've got a catch-and-release system in Milwaukee that just sends people back out on the street and doesn't hold any, doesn't hold any sort of accountability. But it, it's not unique to Milwaukee. It's happening all over the country, and I think that that's fair. So what do you end up doing? Well, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that one of my big beefs is the fact that there's, I think the juvenile justice system is just a mess. 
and, and it was created years and years and years ago when we, we were dealing with, you know, Opie of Mayberry. And the problem was you had kids that went out and, and threw eggs at somebody else's house. Or maybe they engaged in some low-level shoplifting or they stole a bike or something like that. The, and, and that's what the system was. Hey, we, we don't want to ruin people's lives. These were mistakes that kids made. We, we want to, you know, get them off the streets. We want to have a degree of accountability. We want to teach them that what they did was wrong. And then we don't want to have this, this haunt them the rest of their life. I understand where all that comes from. But that's not what's going on now. I mean, you have, for whatever reasons, you have dangerous, violent kids that are committing serious crime after serious crime and you have a juvenile justice system that is protecting them you could do horrible things and unless you get waved into adult court your name doesn't even become public so you know the the kid that shot all the people at mayfair mall well okay he's being handled in juvenile court nobody's going to even know the kid's name for goodness sakes until as an adult he goes and shoots somebody else and then maybe it will come out you know the kid down the block from you might have stolen 15 cars you're never going to know that because it's not going to be public because we, we protect the kids. And one of the frustrations I have is in addition to protecting the kids who commit crime after crime after crime, we, we do nothing to hold them accountable. All right. Now, in another life, I was engaged. I was in politics, ran for attorney general in 1994. And I, I've, I've always been interested and, and fascinated by this juvenile crime approach. And juvenile crime was a problem in the 90s, and it's gotten worse o- over time, not better. And it was completely and totally predictable. And I remember I was at a forum once, and they said, well, what, what do you think needs to be done to try to, again, hold people accountable? And, and one of the things I said is, look, I, I think – You've got to teach people there are consequences. And I, I remember saying, uh, for example, I think we need to look at things like boot camps for juvenile offenders in order to provide some consequences, some sort of intermediate thing. But rather than like sending somebody off to, to Lincoln Hills or whatever for two years, something in between, here we're going to send you back to mom and dad who don't give a rat's rump about you and aren't going to control you, and here we're, we're going to warehouse you for a couple of years. And I started talking about things like, well, maybe maybe boot camps and, and stuff like that. You know, send these kids off and get a little bit of discipline in them. And I, I remember somebody asked me, you, well, how young? I said, I don't know, teenagers. I mean, 13, 14, 15 years old. I have no problem. Send them off the boot camp, depending again on, on what it was they did. Have them accountable. And I remember there was this huge backlash. Oh, my gosh, what a reactionary. He, he would talk about, like, sending kids off the boot camps. He, he's 12, he'd send 13 and 14-year-old kids off the boot camp. Can you imagine? And I guess my attitude then and my attitude now is, yeah, if, if you've got a 14-year-old kid, for example, who's... I don't know, stuck a gun in somebody's face and pistol whipped them and you don't want to treat them as an adult, well, yeah, I think a boot camp would be appropriate. If you've got a 15-year-old kid that's stolen six, seven, eight cars and continues to do it unchecked, yeah, I don't have a problem sending them off to a boot camp, getting them some discipline and some tough love. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I actually I got a lot of static for that position Going on 30 years from now. Oh, what a reactionary position. How dare you hold these little darlings accountable? Well, I think if we held these little darlings more accountable, had more consequences, had intermediate penalties, say, like things like boot camps and all, 
maybe, just maybe, you'd stop them from, I don't know, doing all the stuff that they're doing. 855-616-1620, juvenile boot camps. All right, in addition to closing Lincoln Hills, is it something maybe that should be considered? We discuss in a minute. 855-616-1620, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I thought this was a good idea three decades ago, and, and if we had done something like this, maybe we wouldn't have the problems we have now. I, I'm talking about things like juvenile boot camps for you know, repeat offenders who haven't done something that's so bad that you have to wave them into adult court. You know, they haven't shot somebody or something like that. But at the same time, some sort of intermediate penalty. So, yeah, you take the kid that's stolen a couple cars. And, and yeah, you, you get them out of, like, mom, get them away from mommy and daddy who don't, like I say, give a rat's rump about the kid. And, and you, you put them in a situation where you're getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning and we're going to do exercises. And you know what? As part of the day, we're going to bring in victims and we're going to have, like the lady I was talking about in the first hour whose car gets stolen when she's at church and they rip off her her, her mom who just passed away. They, they steal you know her coat, which was a keepsake for the lady. Yeah, you bring people like that in and they look at these punks and they tell them, okay, this is what this is what happened to me. This is what somebody did to me. This is the effect of this. And, and look, I, I, look, I'm not I'm not Pollyanna. I understand it's not going to work for some people, but don't we need to try some different things? And for people out there who are opposed to, well, you can't warehouse, you know, the, the 16-year-old. Well, at some point in time, if, if you've got the 16-year-old that is committing crimes and you don't, you don't come up with enough consequences that discourage him from continuing to, or her from continuing to do it, well, what's going to happen is sooner or later, probably sooner, they're going to commit the type of crime where you're going to have no choice but to warehouse them. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think it's a great idea. They get a chance because they can stop doing what they're doing or they get boot camp, which would give them a taste of what comes next, which would be uh, prison. Um, Jeff, Dr. Phil uses a form of boot camps to get teens thinking straight. When the kid is completely out of control and parents have basically given up, he sends them to a horse camp to learn a better alternative corrections and hard work. Just the thought. They call it Turnabout Ranch. Um, yeah, there's... Um, <laughs> There's that. Jeff, I was at a gas station on Silver Spring Drive last week. I heard a roar behind me. Three Kias that pulled up with rear windows all broken out. They were being driven by kids who were 14 to 16. I cannot believe it. Well, no, they believe it because that's what's going on. Jeff, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it's a, I'm all for boot camps. Seems like it would be another program that would need good staffing. Boot camp is only as good as the therapist rehabilitation folks that work there. Um, yeah, I, I guess... You know, that's the the whole idea. Jeff, I'd go a step farther and consider removing children from known homes of criminals and placing them in orphanages. Well, I'm, I have to think all that through. I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far, but that's it. Jeff, I have a very strong opinion on this. I agree there needs to be a recall of the justice system. Um, my, star, my son started with legal troubles in his teens. We personally had to call the police on him. Nothing was done. Now as an adult at the age of 24, he's sitting in prison. Had they nipped it in the bud, maybe this could have been prevented. Jeff, yes to boot camp. I still believe in jail time. If you're old enough to make the choice, um, you should have real 
consequences. Schools are handling difficult and repeat behavior problems the same way. No consequences, a slap on the wrist, not even detention anymore. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, anything that starts to hold juveniles accountable and makes them pay for the wrong they have done, I agree with. Obviously, what they're doing now does not work. And by the way, there's a huge facility right down the road from where I live in the town of Delafield, Ethan Allen's School for Boys. I have no darn clue why the state refuses to use that facility that they already own and is already set up to um, do that. Um, yeah, that's – and I, I just – it was so interesting because, like I say, I've been talking about this, and it's always, oh, this is so reactionary, and you mean to tell me that you would really send, like, a 14-year-old off to a boot camp? And I'd say, hell yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it, again, you got to understand what they're doing, but we we have this image of oh it's it's you know it's it's Richie Cunningham you know we we can't from happy days we can't hold those people responsible and that's not what it is it it's kids that are out there maybe they're affiliated with gangs they've got no sense of right and wrong and they're out there again creating problems scott in greendale scott you're on wtmj good afternoon Hey, Jeff, another great topic today. I, I just got to say, my late mom was the first woman judge in Waukesha County. Her name was Honorable Mary Annie Becker. And before she died, this is going way back, they established the Waukesha County Victims Impact Panel, which was a type of restorative justice program for those uh, first and second time DUI offenses uh, within Waukesha County. And that's really what you're talking about here. You're talking about this, you know, but for children, a restorative justice program, which obviously does not say that they that they don't have to face you know the consequences for their crime which usually makes the conservatives happy but at the same time it reaches across the aisle again uh to more liberal people that says hey you can't just lock people up because then they don't learn anything anyway it's giving rehabilitative types of, of services for the kids it's giving the community an opportunity to share um to share their feelings about it and get closure from situations that happen from those children a lot of teen courts um, are up and running, and they're doing well, and they need private monies because, obviously, they try to keep them separate from the from the county governments. But I think they're an awesome idea, and I think they work. I think it's been proven to lower the recidivism rates uh, for certain people. So I'll leave you with that. No, thanks for the call, Scott. And, and again, look, and I, I don't – a couple of people are texting me saying, well, Jeff, you're being naive because don't you understand, you know, that some of the people that are out there committing crimes – I, I I'm, I, I am many things. I am not naive. I, I guess I just look at it and say, yeah, I, okay, so you do these boot camps. And uh, am I guaranteeing you that, you know, the kid does three months and, and you've got the exercises and you've got the drill instructors and you've got the what, what Scott was talking about, the restorative justice where you bring the people in and they, they talk about the impact. Hey, you know, you, you're stealing cars. This is how it affected me or whatever. I'm not naive enough to say that that's going to stop everybody from going out and boosting cars again or getting involved with gangs i but 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 it seems to me it's better than what we're doing now and by the way it's a little bit cheaper than than warehousing people and it's i think more effective than just simply saying okay well we're going to put you on double secret probation and don't do it again and then you know wait till you steal another 10 cars and get caught we we need to get out of the 1950s mindset when it comes to dealing with juveniles and we need to start having more accountability because you have more and more juveniles that are committing more and more heinous 
heinous crimes. Protecting them is not fair to the rest of us, and it doesn't solve the problem of, of getting the, the juvenile rehabilitated so he does not or she does not go on to, I don't know, shoot somebody in, a, in the face at a George Webb when the hamburger is delivered too slowly. You, you need to have these consequences. And I, I just, when I saw this note that they're, they're going to replace Lincoln Hills, I, again, I don't have any position one way or the other whether you close Lincoln Hills and, you know, I, I think you need more juvenile facilities, but I think you also need to be smarter about stuff. And, yeah, I think I was right 30 years ago when we were talking about boot camps, and I think I'm right now. When we come back, let's find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.